hello, hello. I'm your host, Stephanie Martinez Rivera, and you are listening to the Joy Found Here podcast. I am obsessed with reminding my fellow mamas, queens, badass babes, ladies and girls that perfection is just a word, not a lifestyle. Multitasking is overrated. Comparison is a theft of happiness. And yes, you can put yourself first. Oh, and by the way, for optimum results, you should. I'm a New York girl from a small town, part-time badass, proud mama bear times three. I've seen 60 full turns of the sun. I've learned the importance of how kindness begins with you and your self-talk. Join us each week as we help you navigate both the messy and the magical season of this crazy ride called life. Real stories that remind us to reclaim your power. The sun does come out after the shitstorm. A good cry can be cleansing and... We really don't know who sits on top of the mountain of judgment. Sit back, plug in, fill up your cup. This is your time. Remember, you've always had the power. Welcome to Joy Found Here. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Joy Found Here podcast. So I love hearing people's stories. They're usually on this podcast, and and today's not going to be an exception. They are of resiliency. They are of survival. They are of, God, that was really shitty, but you know what? Now look at us. So today we speak to Heather Gilbert. And there's a few things that definitely interested me because I feel that sometimes we don't talk about loss. We don't talk about that as women to other women, especially the loss of a stillborn, a a life and an ending all in the same action. And I know two people personally, I can't be the only one. And now we're speaking to a third. I can't be the only one, but yet it is such a quiet story that people don't share even more so than than a miscarriage. And that has a lot to, it shapes, obviously, the future and, and what would have been. So very, very curious about that. But also, how do you rebound? Well, Heather's going to tell us how. So with that, I say thank you, thank you, thank you, and welcome, Heather. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, it's taken me 15 years to get to the point where I can even tell my story. It's amazing. And that's why I love your courage. I'm honored that you agreed to tell us your story because there's more of you out there and there's more of you that haven't had the voice yet. So maybe someone will hear it on that Tuesday when they hear this episode. It will be the day, we hope. But with that, I say, because there's more to that than just, uh, you know, it was an event and there's a whole life so far that you have lived with some twists and turns. So, okay, tell us about you anywhere you'd like to start. Well, sure. I am currently 42 years old. I am in my second marriage. I have four kids. I have two in college. I have one who's a senior and I have a seven-year-old. Oh, my <laughs> and, right, and we have a ferret and a bunny and a cat and a fish. Uh-huh. And a <laughs> but I do feel like I'm a different wife in this marriage than obviously a wife in my first marriage when mm-hmm. all the traumatic events happened. Sure. Um, it definitely, you know, it's it it changed me in many, many ways. 
So I'm going to take you back to my childhood. I was okay. born in 1980. I was an 80s girl. <laughs> and I, I had a good childhood. And sometimes I I feel uh, sometimes I feel guilty because I know so many people have had not mm-hmm. so good childhoods. So for me to be like, I had a great childhood. Sometimes, you know, it's like I had a good one. Like we ate dinner as a family every night at 630. Mm-hmm. Or we mm-hmm. watched Wheel of Fortune and mm-hmm. MacGyver. <laughs> My parents were entrepreneurs, so it was me and my brother, you know, we would go to their place of business. We were just a a close family, so I didn't have any kind of trauma, anything like that in my childhood. I had a good childhood. Mm -hmm. So I got married when I was in my early 20s. I met someone in high school, so I married my high school sweetheart, and uh, we moved from Branson, Missouri. My parents actually owned a resort there, so when I graduated high school... I moved to the big city of St. Louis across state and, you know, packed my little red Toyota and off I went to go move in with my boyfriend, Mm -hmm, (laughs) which mm -hmm. I have a 19 year old and I'm like, you ain't doing that. (laughs) (laughs) But it made me who I am today. So I don't regret Mm -hmm. it. So we got married. We both had secure jobs. I was, you know, climbing my way up in the corporate ladder. I didn't go to college, but you know what? I was like, I'm still going to make something of myself. So living, you know, working in a corporate job, he had his job. We were financially stable. And so the next step, obviously, when you're going down the checklist, you get married, you're financially stable. Only natural next step would be let's have a baby. Yes. So I am a type A personality. I'm very organized, checklist, not as much as I used to be now with four kids and, but back in my early twenties. And so I was like, you know, this is going to go great. So yes, I got pregnant within the first month. I'm like, "Ah, check, (laughs) check that off the box. Mm -hmm. So I did get pregnant um, very quickly and everything was going great. You know, you have the pregnancy glow. Life is good. I think I was 24 at the time life was just yeah just making a life of and that's how it happens and you and you just go on to that next thing oh oh you got married oh good oh and there she's pregnant isn't that wonderful and now we're gonna start a family yes life is good life is perfect you know there's no problems so I had my baby shower about 38 weeks before my due date. I had the nursery done by six months. I had the name picked out by six months. So I just kind of waited closer to the due date to have my baby shower because I was so organized and ready to go. So my baby shower was on a Saturday. And I don't know if you've ever been to a baby shower, but everybody there is always smiling. It's once again, like a joyous occasion. Yeah. Sure. And I remember, you know, all the gifts and coworkers and family. It was just a perfect day. So I went in two days later for my 38-week checkup. It was on a Monday. And I was high risk because for some unknown reason, I just had gestational diabetes. And honestly, it wasn't, you know, it's just changing your eating habits. It's Mm -hmm. not, you know. Right. So because I was high risk, I was going in every week. They were checking Mm -hmm. the heartbeat. So I went in on my 38-week checkup that Monday. And they could not find the heartbeat. Hmm. and sometimes the baby moves, you know, you mm-hmm, can't, mm-hmm. you know, so they were trying to find that heartbeat for about 10, 15 minutes. Mm. And at that point they left, they're like, you know, we'll be right oh. back. Mm-hmm. Okay. And at that point I'm nervous, but I'm not thinking the worst. No. Why should you? Right. Right. I'm like, you know, I'm already high risk. Okay. This is, this is kind of unusual. At that point, my husband showed up. He was meeting me there from work. 
And before I know it, they came in and they said, you know, let's do an ultrasound. Let's have the doctor look at it. Okay. So I go in there and that moment changed the rest of my life. Mm. We, uh, we looked on the ultrasound and, you know, where the black circle is, where you usually see the flicker. Sure. Um, there was no flicker. It was just a black hole of darkness. Mm. And he said, I'm sorry, but your baby passed away. Mm. I don't think I I cried. It was more shock. It was more. It's hard to, I, I, you know, I can't even imagine the people that I know it happened. I'll say during a birth uh, and a traumatic birth at that, I will say. But yeah, not like they didn't know that their baby was dead yet. And right. I'm having a hard time just even hearing it from you. Right. And I can't imagine laying on the bed kind of like, okay, come on, let's go. Because it's such a miracle that we do reproduce, number one. It's such a miracle of the amount of births that do take place because so much could go wrong. And what you only know what you know. So first time out, maybe it was a possibility. Maybe you read some statistics, but it certainly never comes close to home. I didn't know it was a thing. I've heard of miscarriages. Correct. It's not something your parents teach you when you're young. It's not something society really teaches you. Correct. So absolutely. I was like, what? Yeah. Like, this is a thing. Yeah. And, you know, this happened in 2005. So there weren't as many support groups as they have now. There wasn't as many counselors. So I feel like nowadays in society, we do talk more about things, but back then people that were even going through a divorce didn't even talk about it. The shades were always down. The door was always closed. And And so I'm sitting there, you know, looking at the Mm -hmm. ultrasound and he said, you know, we're going to have to induce Mm -hmm. and you're going to have to deliver your baby. And at that point, you're just going through the motions. I didn't have time. Like what? I don't even know if I have a hospital bag in my, in my car. Like what? Mm -hmm. So they took us through a back hallway because they didn't want me going through the waiting room. Two reasons. Obviously, I was not a happy looking pregnant woman. Correct. And they're like, you probably don't want to see the happy pregnant women in the waiting room. Yeah. So I didn't know that they had a back hallway, but they do. (laughs) A back exit. Mm -hmm. Um, They took me down the hallway. They got me settled into a, a hospital room. I'm getting my hospital gown on. And he said you might want to start calling your family or letting whoever needs to know. I said, yes. And and so I tried to call my parents. Of course, they lived across state mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they weren't home. And at that point you start freaking out because then it's like, well, I need to tell them and all mm-hmm. this is happening and they're going to induce me. And where's my mommy and where's my right. dad? Exactly. And yeah. so at the time, my grandma who has passed away, but she, she lived about 15 minutes from us. And I was like, well, maybe if I call my grandma, she would know where my parents, I mean, you're just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. figure this out. So I called my grandma and I don't know about your grandma, but my grandma always had the sweetest voice. Mm-hmm. And so she yeah. answers the phone just as sweet as could be. Hi, Heather. Hi, honey. Hi, sweetie. You know, yes. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell her. No. I couldn't. How do you break the news? And I'm usually not at a loss for words. Like, mm-hmm. so for me to just have this phone and I just was like, hi. And then yeah. I froze. Right. I just, wow. 
And so I ended up handing the phone to my mm-hmm. husband. I'm like, I can't. And at that point I did cry because it makes sure. it real. When you start absolutely. the news. When you, when you say it, real. when you put it to word, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So he started calling. His family lived locally. Mm-hmm. We were pretty close to some of our coworkers. You you make good friends. So there was like one or two, like my coworker, one of mm-hmm. his coworkers mm-hmm. came that happened to work in the area. And so before I know it, there's 10 people in the hospital room. I'm not into active labor yet. You know, when they induce you, it does take, you know, it could take four, five, six hours. So they were in the hospital room, but there were 10 of them. They don't know where to sit. So they're all standing in the, in the wall, facing Mm -hmm. me. Holding up the wall. Right. They're holding Uh up the wall. They don't know what to say. Nobody knows what to say. They're just looking at me crying. And Mm -hmm. I'm over here like having contractions because my labor has started. I'm in pain. My toes are curling. I'm like, this is the most awkward situation I could possibly because you're vulnerable. You're having contractions. You're about to deliver a baby who has passed. And these 10 people are just staring at me. I'm sorry. It's like, wow. Can it almost like something out of the office? Like, can it get any worse? Yeah. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I have PTSD just from that. Yeah. I know the stand. And, and, And you know what? God love them for actually oh, yes. coming in and knowing it's going to be horribly awkward, but yet being there, I give them a lot of credit. Yeah. So I was very torn because I'm like, as I'm having contractions, I'm thinking to myself as I'm still in shock and, and whatever mm-hmm. else I'm thinking, I want them to get out of this room, but I know they're here to support me. I know they're here. So it was like, yeah. I yeah. know they're here because they care and they love me but Mm -hmm. I really want them to get out of this room. (laughs) So I just kept my mouth shut because I'm too nice to be like, get the heck out of my room because I know you're here to support me. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it it was just an awkward and the nurse would come in and check me periodically. And at some point my parents came and she's visibly upset, emotional. I mean, she had to drive four hours to me. So, you know, I I can't imagine what they were thinking in the Correct. Correct. And at the end of the day, they want their daughter. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. it could have gone even worse, even though we like how bad get, that's how, how much crappier can it be? It could have. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It could have been a lot worse. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine my mom crying four hours mm-hmm. in the car mm-hmm. and she's, you know, gets in the hospital room and hugs me and leave it to mom to be like everybody out. <laughs> yeah. That's That's what you needed. Okay. Everybody out. And, gotta go. Thank you. And, and they were probably was, relieved a little, like oh, was. I, and no one wanted to be the first one. <laughs> yeah. And so then it was my husband and, and my mom. I let my mom stay in the room with me. And it it just it kind of made me feel a little bit better, even though I was going through such a traumatic right. then I one percent of me felt a little bit better. Sure. Um, so I did deliver him. What they did not warn me about was when you're delivering a healthy baby, they do the skin to skin contact. Mm-hmm. Well, that's also a way for them to clean you up. And I didn't know that when I delivered my baby, they were going to lay him on my chest. So then yeah. I have this dead baby on my chest. And I was just like, what do I do? Do I touch it? Like, what am I supposed to be doing here? Right. So then I'm like, in even more shock because I'm like, I did not see this coming. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah. it's almost like I didn't want to look at him, but I did want to look at him. Correct. You're just right. like, you don't know. Yeah. So. I kind of put my hands up and I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they could see I was visibly like frozen. 
And so they ended up cleaning me up and they took the baby, cleaned him up, wrapped him in a blanket. And then I held him. Right. And he was, like I said, 38 weeks along, he was pretty much full term. They deliver babies at 38 weeks. Uh He was five pounds. He looked like a normal, perfect baby who was Uh just sleeping. Yep. And he still had some color. He looked perfect. And I held him. I played with his pinky. I looked at all his fingers. You know, you're kind of inspecting him, looking at him. And I held him for about two hours. It was late in the night. It was about Mm -hmm. midnight. And the nurse finally came in and she's like, we're going to, we're going to have to take him. Yeah. That was hard. Sure. That was very hard. Cause you know, you're not going to, at least on this side of earth, uh, earth side, you're not not again. Correct. And so I did, you know, I did give him up. I gave him back. And so began the next chapter of, okay, got to plan a funeral. And uh, while planning the funeral, my breast milk comes in. So that's when tears start coming, when your body is still changing because your body doesn't know mm-hmm. that this baby wasn't born healthy. Yeah. So I did, I was on maternity leave. And mm-hmm. um, so, yes, I was in the funeral home. I didn't know they made baby caskets. I didn't know they they made baby headstones. Mm -hmm. And this is now 2005. Again, I'm 24. This is all, it's like every day it's something new that I didn't know, like baby blue casket for boys and pink for girls. And you're flipping through a book of the headstones. And when you realize life's so early, then you were young so early that how I'll say precious it is and fleeting it can be. I mean, you got to look through, you then start to live life very differently. Even though you're a young 24, you now like you were plus 50 years because of what you just went through. Mm-hmm. And oh. what you experienced and, and what you learned along the way. And you just leapfrogged into obviously wisdom, but in a really different way. So you do come out of that. Mm-hmm. I'll say in very loose air quotes, certainly not an easy road of any loss. That one a little, uh, do you ever? And your marriage doesn't survive. My marriage doesn't survive because I then got insomnia. Because every time you close your eyes, you you relive this day over and over and over and over. With insomnia can cause you to have lots of stuff. Insomnia caused me to become paranoid. I then had paranoia. I then had anger. It took me a year, but I had delayed grief. And so, yeah, when you don't sleep... For months and months and months. Now, six weeks after I delivered my stillborn baby, I did get pregnant again because I had a nursery and the nursery was decorated and I had all these gifts from the baby shower still waiting for me. And I had all these diapers and baby clothes. And so I purposely got myself pregnant because I had this emptiness and you want to, I did deliver him healthy. He's now 17 years old. He's my senior in high school going into the Air Force. Wonderful. But even as he was a baby and a newborn, I still had the insomnia. I still had, I was afraid something would happen to him. Even when he was one, two years old. You You, you never, yeah. You never let your, I'll say body heal, but that's a good thing. You got to, you got something uh, good out of that. But yeah, I mean, as you were saying with the insomnia and I'm like, okay, 
whether you deliver stillborn or live birth, it's the hormonal. As you said, your body doesn't know what came out of it. It's just like, okay, well, that's out now. Now let's fool around with these hormone levels for another year or so and make her even crazy. Maybe I had postpartum depression. Yes. Maybe I had grief and depression. Yes. You had a perfect storm because yeah, you all intertwined. You absolutely, I say yes to all of the above. And then again, when your hormone levels are going to re-up because now, you know, we're going to carry this, this baby and oh, we know what to do. Yes, we do. But you've got all the other ones still hanging around like weekend guests that have stayed for a month. Like get out and right. it just takes so much time. Yeah. I was always waiting for the shoe to drop. I was, I shouldn't say hopeless. I guess I was hopeless. I did not have, I didn't get excited for things. My mm-hmm. expectations had gone from here to zero mm-hmm. with everything. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I eventually did go back to work after my maternity leave. And if they said, for example, you're going to get a raise, you're doing a great job at work. I did not get excited. It was like this until yeah. the day I saw the raise on my paycheck. Yeah. It was like, I'll believe it when I see it. Correct. So where are you then in your faith level? <laughs> so I, at this point, had never been baptized. I had been an attendee at church, gone to church, listened to the sermon, but I did not have you know any kind of close and personal relationship with God. But what I did have... I was very, very angry with him. Of course. Very to the point. I I don't flip people off, but in my mind, I was giving him the middle finger. Yep. Absolutely. I was rolling my eyes. Mm-hmm. My husband at the time wanted us to become members of a church. And it just made me so mad. Mm-hmm. So mad. And not only why did God allow this to happen, like right. we always have that question. Sure but God, why did you wait so long for this to happen? I, just give me a miscarriage. Why did you wait till two days after my baby shower, the happiest day ever? Why couldn't you have done it a week before my baby shower? Then I didn't have a nursery that was all ready. I mean, you just think of all these. Of all the things that you want to control. Very angry. According to your list, according to your timetable, according to, according to mm-hmm. how it should have been. Right. And I, I even asked God, do you enjoy seeing me paranoid? Do you enjoy seeing me depressed and angry because of what you did? This is how I am. I mean, I was so mad. Of course. Through this anger and depression and paranoia and fear and hopelessness, I did start getting suicidal ideation. So then I had that for about a year. So this is about a five, six year span of grief, anger. Then we have suicidal ideation. I was so full of anger. So, so it only makes sense. My marriage was transitioning. It wasn't a super unhealthy marriage, but it definitely, we were not in a good place. No, everything changes. And you see what you went through Mm because you went through physical changes and hormonal levels, et cetera. And the way that you experienced the grief, the loss, Mm -hmm. the birth, the everything. There was another person who had a very similar experience, not physically delivering but the same loss that I don't know if anyone asked him how he was doing. Yeah. I do know when the funeral was happening, you mm-hmm. know, the first three, four months, mm-hmm. he was sad. I remember seeing him cry. So his grieving was at the time of the funeral, whereas mm-hmm. my grieving 
at least the depression when it hits right when it delayed for about a year so when he was feeling better that's when it hit me Mm -hmm. and I'm sure it was very confusing to him because he was like what's happening it's over we should be better right like I mean not to say this like haven't gone from this but like haven't we well no we haven't because at that point my son was one year old and mm-hmm. that's when more thoughts go through your head, like, oh my gosh, my baby in heaven's never going to have a birthday, never going to be able to eat his smash cake. You just a loss. To- yeah. It's right. when you have a loss, I mean, uh, and, and I can only gauge it on my loss and that's nothing compared to, again, I can't imagine, you know, carrying, feeling, and then coming home, nothing, you know, or having to plan the funeral, but life just becomes bittersweet like all of the events that you're so happy for, but you have to take your bittersweet time because it's your loss. It's, you know, you think of him each and every day, if not every event and, oh, I wonder what he would be like. Wow, this would be high school and this would be, and this would be, and this would be. And you do that throughout and it's fine. It's just knowing that, let me have my time with him and honor him. And then you leave a little room to enjoy what you do have. It took me a long time for that. At that point, I could not enjoy anything. (laughs) Believe me, I know like I I know. Yeah. So by the time my son that I did deliver healthy was four, Mm -hmm. that's when everything was very, very heightened. My anger. Mm -hmm. I had paranoia because I remember all the eyes on me in the hospital room. So Mm -hmm. after I had my stillborn baby, I felt the whole world knew my story. So I felt like when I was driving on the highway, everybody in their cars was staring at me. I felt like in the grocery store, everybody was staring at me. Did you feel like you were the only one this happened to? Oh, absolutely. Because I was the only one you knew. Yeah. Like I didn't know this was a thing. So in my mind, I was the only person on earth that this has ever happened to. So it's like putting the scarlet A. Like you failed at that, but then you turned right around. And proved them wrong, but you failed at the first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, how interesting. So at one point I was on six different prescription medications. Mm -hmm. I was 26. I don't know what all they were. One was insomnia. Mm -hmm. One was depression. One was for physical pain because we carry grief in our bodies and we're getting Mm -hmm. tension. I was getting muscle spasms. I don't remember what the other three were, but I just know at 26, I had six different prescription uh, bottles on my nightstand. And that was depressing in itself. Just looking at that saying, is this what my life is going to be? And I did file for divorce when my son was four. I was so, I just didn't care. I didn't care about things. I had no hope. Sure. I was like, this is going to be my life. I wake up, I go to work, come home, cook dinner, go to bed, wake up, go to work. I mean, I felt like a robot heavily medicated on whatever pills I was, you know, I was checked out. Basically I was checked out. And so I did file for divorce. And then I find myself six months later in an apartment of a single mom. Now I'm a single mom of a four-year-old, one income, one parent to figure out all these decisions, which is hard, you know, so I I had divorce grief. I had stillborn baby grief. Mm -hmm. I now have, I'm a single mom trying to survive in this world. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure my four-year-old was feeling the effects of the divorce, but I was so in my own head, I didn't Mm -hmm. even think, oh, maybe I should put him in some kind of counseling. Like I didn't know. So again, I'm just going through the motions and that's when the the crying hit. So it really wasn't until- So interesting, yeah. Four years later. And I think it was, 
another loss. Anytime you get divorced, it's, it's a loss. It's a loss of identity. It's a loss of a marriage, Mm -hmm. a loss of dream, hope, absolutely. Mm -hmm. A loss of hope. And so Mm -hmm. I had the loss of a baby on top of that loss. And I think it just compounded and the tears just came and came and came. And I cried in the grocery store. I cried at the office. I cried at the Valvoline waiting room, waiting for my old to be changed. I would cry every day in rush hour traffic, 45 minutes into the city to go work. And I could not stop crying. And I reached out to a friend and she said, have you ever heard of divorce care as a support group? She said, I think maybe you need to go talk to somebody. And I think that was the first time where I was so humble. And I was like, yes, because I had been pretty hesitant to go to any other support group. I don't want to sit around with a bunch of women who have lost their babies. Like who wants to do that? You weren't ready. You weren't ready until, you know, I wasn't ready. You, I wasn't you needed ready. to crumble a little more, quite mm-hmm. honestly. And then suddenly, then it sounds like it's a good, but right. oh, okay, now I, now I might be open. Right. As I'm like in the bathroom stall Correct. in the office, like crying and they wanting their report. <laughs> it's like, right. Heather, I need your report. <laughs> I can't stop. So yeah, I had to hit rock bottom. So I did. I joined this 12 week class at a church I'd never been to. So it's offered in churches all over the country. And you can just go to divorcecare.org.com and, and you can find a, one near you. And so I went not knowing anybody. Are we going to have to sit in a circle and like, hi, my name is Heather. You know, you just, you have all these thoughts, like what is a support group? I don't even know what a support group is. But I knew I would have to tell my story about my stillborn baby because that was a lot of my grief. Mm-hmm. So here I am yet again, all eyes on me telling my story of my baby, mm-hmm. very vulnerable, crying in front of complete strangers. It was just mm-hmm. another foreign situation. I'm shaking. Oh, anxiety medicine. I'm pretty sure I was on anxiety yeah. medication. <laughs> um, I was so uncomfortable. But the fact that other people started sharing their story And even though we didn't have the same exact story, we had the same emotions and the same losses and the same hopelessness and the same anger at God. And, Mm -hmm. you know, some people had suicidal ideation, you know, and I was like, oh, well, maybe they haven't delivered a stillborn baby, but I think maybe they understand insomnia and they understand. And somehow that made me feel like I wasn't the only person on earth. Validation Mm -hmm. is amazing. So I did, I I took divorce care for 12 weeks and I could tell there was a shift after about the seventh, eighth week. And I was smiling again. Huh. And I was like, you know, it's like you smile and you catch yourself smiling. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a Why am I so happy? What's happening? Here? Right? So when I had broke down in tears for four years, I hadn't cried. So then I'm like crying and sobbing. So it was weird for me to go from that emotion to all of a sudden, I'm smiling six weeks later. And it was because I think your heart softens, you become vulnerable. And I think when we are vulnerable, we share our stories. It does help us feel better. And we do find healing. Yeah. And because Divorce Care is a faith-based organization, Mm -hmm. I talked about my anger with God. And Mm -hmm. instead of them being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you would be angry at the one who created earth. Instead, they were very compassionate, understanding. And they're like, you're not the only one that's mad at God, or it's okay to be mad at God because he understands what you're going through. So it kind of actually made me feel better. I never 
denied God's existence. And they said, well, if you're mad at God, that means you're still in a relationship with him. But I never denied him. And so they're like, oh, yeah. So God understands. It's like being mad at your best friend. Like, it doesn't mean he doesn't love you or he doesn't like you anymore. Like, he understands. And that created a shift in me. And I was like, oh. But then I came home and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have been mad at God for like six years now. And I've been giving him the bird and like rolling. I felt horrible. (laughs) (laughs) I felt felt so guilty. I was like, oh my gosh, I turned into a crazy person for like six years. And I had, (laughs) when you think about it, I was a little, Mm -hmm. a little crazy. So then I prayed for the first time in like, I don't know how many years, six, seven years. And I simply begged God to forgive me for being mad at him for so long, because then we have to forgive ourselves. Like he, of course, forgives us. Of course forgiving myself and being like, you don't have to carry that on your shoulders. Like he understands. And the next day I took my little four-year-old and we went church hopping. I'm like, I'm going to go find a church home. (laughs) So then I just felt like God understood me and he wasn't against me. And I think, you know, when we go through events like this, we can easily be like, God is against me. You know, if I'm a child of God, why would he do this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So once I realized he's not against me, and even in the Bible, like three times, it says that Jesus wept. And so then I'm like, well, maybe he was sad the day that my baby died. So then you kind of switch your your statements and your questions around. Narrative, sure. And I'm like, or maybe it wasn't his fault. So I didn't tell you this earlier, but the reason my baby passed away, they did find out what happened. Oh, okay. The umbilical cord, it got a knot in it. It didn't get around his neck. It just had a knot. The cord literally just mm-hmm. knotted itself and that was it. So then I'm like, well, one, I was glad it wasn't something wrong with me because you're always like, oh my gosh, did I do something did I do wrong? And so through divorce care, I ended up finding a church home. And within two months, I was baptized for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. I've now been going to that church, the same church for 11 years. I've taken grief share, healing as a choice, all the support groups, divorce care again. And that's the thing is, I feel that's where my healing came from. Mm-hmm. I couldn't heal until I was to the point I could talk about it. And then once you talk about it, you have to allow yourself to be humble and vulnerable. And I do feel like at that point, if I had not talked about my story to somebody who could relate, I probably still would have been. And some people do. Some people go through their life like that. And I mean, you were six years, which was a lot. And I can't even imagine a lifetime of the whole physicalness of it, the Really, you're just looking at the world with such blinders and dark sunglasses, and you're missing, honestly, everything that God is offering up. Right. And once you realize you're not the only person who has gone through something, it did make me feel better. So I do know other people that have had still bursts. And Mm -hmm. I think the more I've told my story, it's a trickle effect. Like you Mm -hmm. share your story and then someone's like, oh, well, I had a stillborn too. And I'm like, and then, you know, you talk about the five stages of grief. You can also be in different phases. There isn't a right or wrong with how to grieve or, oh, you should be over it by now, or you should have moved on. Like 
everybody has their own story and everybody's going to grieve in different ways. And looking back, I'm like, I did go through all those stages of grief. I hung out in anger for a while and denial for a while. But yeah, it wasn't, I mean, I could not even tell my story two years ago. I did not like to say that my baby died because that was such a harsh word. And fine. Uh, I, can, I can now say it, but I always said, you know, my baby passed away because it just softens it, makes it sound better. So for me to even say my baby died, I couldn't even say that like two years ago. Yeah. But I think through God forgiving me and me surrendering to God and us kind of repairing our relationship, I have found healing to where I'm able to share my story. And he's giving me that strength and that courage. Like I didn't, I have it because of him. But yeah, I just encourage anybody going through some kind of traumatic event divorce, grief, any kind of abuse, like there's so many support groups now and so many counselors at every block now, every corner, Mm -hmm. there's counselors and what is the new EMDR therapy now? And there's so many ways. And the first one may not fit right. I always equate, you know, good therapy and support to, you know, a really good pair of shoes and don't just because they're shiny and on sale, yet your foot is squeezed into it. That's not the right ones for you. You know when you're in the right place. So it's funny you say that because when I very first went to a psychiatrist because I was having a Mm -hmm. suicidal ideation, Mm -hmm. and I also knew something clicked in me that said you need professional help. Mm -hmm. It was like something that told me because when I had a baby and all of a sudden I'm still having suicidal ideation, I'm like, I got to get help. Mm -hmm. So I remember going to the psychiatrist and it, I hated him. I hated him. And he was not nice. Mm -hmm. And the first words out of his mouth, like I I told him, I said, do you want to hear my story? And Mm -hmm. he said, I know your story. Your baby died. He goes, your eyes are set back. Are you anorexic? Oh my. So yes. Like with what Mm -hmm. you're saying, find a doctor or find a counselor that fits you and makes you feel comfortable. Because again, I was 24. Even when I saw the psychiatrist, I didn't know you could switch doctors. I didn't know it was a thing. I was just recommended to go to this Christian counselor. Mm -hmm. And then through that, they said, here's, you know, the psychiatrist we recommend. I didn't even know you could switch doctors. So yes, you can absolutely like find that person that's going to give you compassion, give you an ear, listen, because yeah, that was not a good experience. (laughs) I'm really so grateful that you got your voice, Mm -hmm. that your story is out there. May I ask what you named your son, your first son? Yeah, I don't say his name very often. <laughs> his name is Nicholas. Okay. And his middle name is Hugh. It's after my dad's middle name. So his name okay. is Nicholas Hugh. So I want to thank Nicholas Hugh for giving quite a story. Thanks, Nicholas. It could have done another way, we think. But no, it really had to probably happen this way yeah. for everything else to present itself. But with that, I thank you for your courage. Thank you for your story. Thank you for giving it a voice. Thank you for letting me share on here. Do you hang out on social? Do you? I do. I do hang out on social. It's like my bestie. (laughs) Find you. I have a website. It's heather-gilbert.com. So if you go on my website, heather-gilbert.com, you will get to my Instagram. You'll get to my Facebook as well as you will get to my blog that actually has my whole story in its entirety. There was a lot of details. I didn't say a lot of details. Yes. Um, But yeah, they can also um, go on there and check out my whole story. I like it. Well, thank you again. And 
check her out, follow her. There's again a whole other story, like two more episodes of her story <laughs> that we haven't even. We'll go on to part two and part three. I know three. I had to cut a lot out. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. It's you know what, and still more to be written because those kids are just beginning. So still more to be written in life. Oh, and then I become a stepmom, and that's a whole nother that, story. Too. Again, another episode because I want to go down that little rabbit hole oh, as yes. well. Was, because you know, time. again, that's a huge dynamic. So we'll plan on a part two. We will. That'll be fun. Okay. And then we'll talk about all those other balls that life just keeps throwing at you. And yet, through the grace of God, you do it. All right. Listen, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, for all your support, for your comments. Joyfoundhere.com is the website. That's where you want to go share everything. Apple, Spotify, wherever you hear your pods, we would love a review. Thank you and be well until next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Joy Found Here podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please share it with a friend. And of course, if you haven't already done so, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to head over to joyfoundhere.com for any questions, comments, and feedback. Until next week, keep your head up and your crown straight. You've got this.